Welcome to the Gathering Church Podcast. We are so glad you're joining us today. For more info about The Gathering, you can check out thegathering.online. Thanks for checking out the podcast. Here's today's message. Um, anyways, we are in the final week of March and the final sermon of our series called Attitude Adjustment. We've been looking at the Beatitudes from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And this Jesus gives us the, the attitudes that we should be, the attitudes that we should have. Um, it's important to know these Beatitudes are not telling us how to become a Christian. It's telling us, it's describing to us what a true Christian looks like. And if we claim to be a Christian, then we should begin to see these attitudes evident in our life. So the Beatitudes, they are a tool for discerning our spiritual condition. I'm going to say that again. The Beatitudes are a tool for discerning our spiritual condition. What's, what's our spiritual condition? If we claim to be a Christian, but we don't have a whole lot of humility going on here, we need an attitude adjustment. We claim to be a Christian, but we are quick to react with judgment instead of mercy. We might need an attitude adjustment. And so we've been looking at three Beatitudes per Sunday. We've been going fast. At some point in the future, maybe we'll go back through these and do one at a time, take our time with them. Um, but we are looking through the last three of the Beatitudes today. And you can find these Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. I've been encouraging us to really read the Bible first, but also to consider memorizing Scripture. It's a powerful tool. Um, you'll have doubts and thoughts come to your head. You'll have people ask you questions. You need a quick response. Be ready with the memorization of the Word of God. And, and so I've been trying for myself, and maybe you've been joining me in this, I've been trying to memorize these Beatitudes. And it's a little bit of a challenge, but I'm going to try to recite them from, from memory. If you know them, if you, if you want to join me and help me out, I would appreciate it. We know the first one is, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We did it. That was really good. I was afraid on that last one for a second. You guys were going to keep going, and I was going to stop. But we got through it. I've been trying to memorize these. And, uh, and this last week, uh, we're looking at the last three Beatitudes. Uh, the first three, we said they're the, kind of the root system. There, there's a reason that these are in the order that they're in, okay? You don't want to get these mixed up. You don't want to try to start later on and work your way to the, the beginning because you, you'll not be able to do it. There's a reason Jesus put these in order. And so we've looked at the root system, and we've begun to look at the fruit of that root system and the Beatitudes, and we'll continue with that today. Let's read the last part of the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, starting in verse 9. It says, Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's going to be a good Sunday, right? We're talking about some fun things today. All right. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
How many are excited to receive the word of God over their lives today? Amen. Yes, we're excited to be here looking at peacemaking and persecution. Two things we love to talk about. And that is our title today, Peace and Persecution. Not Pride and Prejudice, Peace and Persecution. Okay? Let's look at that first one again, verse 9. It says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. The first point is simply peacemakers and peace breakers. We need to be peacemakers because there are a lot of things in our life that are trying to break our peace, right? It feels like there are news outlets that are on a full-time job capacity working to break your peace, right? There, there are those people in your life that just know how to get under your skin, know how to push your butts and, and break your peace. We need to be peacemakers. But think about this. We cannot make peace if we do not first possess peace. Right? You can't make what you don't have. Anybody trying to cook it a meal? You, you can't make if you don't have the ingredients to make that entree. You have to have peace before you can make peace. So, so how do we have peace? How do we possess that? Look at Psalm 34. Verse 12, it says, What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Seek peace. We are meant to pursue peace. And I think it's interesting that before David says to seek peace... What is he talking about? He's talking about our words, right? He instructs us to keep our tongue from evil and our lips from speaking deceit. Peace breaking and peacemaking can be found in our words. Words of gossip and slander and accusation, they break peace. Whereas words of encouragement and love, believing the best about people, they bring peace. Has anyone ever worked in the food industry in their life here? Anyone worked in the, yeah, a lot of hands. God bless you, aren't you? For those that are still doing that, God bless you even more. But talk about needing peace in tough situations. Has anyone had uncomfortable situations where a person comes in and, and, and they lead to some conflict in the restaurant, right? I've been reading a book called Unreasonable Hospitality uh, by Will Gadara, and he's, he's a manager of a high-quality, high-end restaurant in New York. And he said in the book, he said, when someone's being difficult, it's human nature to decide they no longer deserve your best service. But another approach is to think maybe this person is being dismissive because their spouse asked for a divorce. Maybe because a loved one is ill. Maybe this person actually needs more love and more hospitality than anyone else in this room. This is spoken from an author, pretty sure, I don't know his background, pretty sure he's not a Christian, to my knowledge. And yet he understood that when people come in and they have this struggle and, and they're looking to break peace, it's because they need peace in their life. Can, can you relate to this in the food service? That there are people that come in with a rotten attitude, right? 
and, and they make you want to have a bad day. Imagine if someone comes in with a rotten attitude and, and a server, a, a waiter, a waitress, they also come into work with a bad attitude and those two collide, what happens? Chaos, disaster, bad reviews, maybe a firing if it's that bad. I, I also worked for a high quality restaurant growing up. Um, I don't know why you're laughing, it's Taco Bell. Is that funny? <laughs> And uh, I had a manager who came in one day with no peace. Actually, most days he came in with no peace, but that's beside the point. And um, uh, we'll call him Joe, because that's his name. And um, one day he was training a, a new person on the drive-thru cash register. And uh, sometimes you need to know your strengths and your weaknesses as a manager. And um, working with customers was not his strength. Now, I know what you're thinking. He's the manager of the restaurant. I thought it was ironic, too. Um, but he was in, in charge of this. And so one customer came through and ordered the popular $5 box. And when they pulled up to the window, they asked uh, the manager and the, the person that was training, could I replace the cinnamon twist with nachos instead? And the manager, Joe, he explained calmly. He said, I'm sorry, we actually can't substitute that. We're, we're not, not able to do that in our system. And the person felt very bold that they could persist in saying, well, I don't know why you couldn't do that. Um, they've done it to me here before and had no problems. And so again, Joe said, I'm sorry, ma'am, that's just not how, how, we, how we operate. That's, I'm sorry that happened to you, that should not have happened. Um, and the lady persisted. To, to Joe's credit, he has not broken yet. Um, but what happened after that was he then walked around the corner away from the customer, grabbed a bag of nachos, put it into the bag, and then, with full force, push onto that bag of nachos, grabbed the whole bag, went around the corner, and said, have a nice day, man. And she drove away. And if you think that's the end of the story, you would be wrong. Um, thankfully, the customer left. But then Joe walked away, ran into the cooler, and began to yell words I could not understand, and it's probably better that I didn't understand them, as he lost his peace in that moment. Now, is that a funny story that made me laugh later on the day when Joe was nowhere to be seen? We all kept about a 10-foot perimeter away from him the rest of the day so he would stay calm? Yes. But as I look back, and I'm supposed to be a Christian, I did not help Joe in his making peace with that situation. You know, I, I think back and I, I think, well, shouldn't I have said something to Joe? Said, hey, you know, good job keeping your cool. I know that was a difficult situation, but it's better to lose your control in the cooler than it is in front of a customer, right? That's the truth. And, and I didn't do that. And we're supposed to be not peacekeepers as Christians. We're supposed to be peacemakers. Amen. It's a lot easier to keep the peace than it is to make the peace. Keep is maintaining. Peacemaking is starting from, from brand new, from scratch. And, and so we are supposed to make peace in our life as long as it falls on us. <clears throat> as long as we have the opportunity, we're supposed to make peace. It says in Romans chapter 12, verse 16, it says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And then he says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. If it's possible, if it's relying on you, 
at peace. If you go further on in that chapter in Romans, Paul says, uh, he goes on to say, vengeance is mine. He says, I'm going to repay those who need justice. Don't, don't worry about that. We are not commissioned to be the judge, jury, and execution for people. We are commissioned to make peace in our world. Our world has enough division. People who claim to be Christians should be prepared to bring peace, not conflict. Are you with me? Sometimes this, this might mean standing between two people that are in disagreement and, and making peace. But there are other times when instead of you being the mediator between two, you have to actually, you're the one in conflict and disagreement, and you have to take yourself out of that situation and say, if it's possible, if it's up to me, Paul says, I'm to live peaceably with one another. Are there any moms here that are becoming experts in conflict management between your children? You, there's no peace in your house unless you make that peace. My mom wanted no fighting. Not even a hint of aggression, and that's really hard when you are homeschooling three boys at the same time. Uh, we are all competitive, we're fueled by com competition, and we would have a Monday night game night at our house. I don't know if you had something like that growing up. Um, but there were certain games that if you played them, you would have no peace in your household. Um, there were certain games that peace would leave the Mason household when that game was brought to the table. You know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Monopoly, right? We all know what we're talking about. And, and because my mom wanted peace so much, she would do whatever her sons asked of her in that game. And some of her sons, not me, I'm not going to name names, but some of her sons would swindle their own mother into a terrible trade in order to win the game. Some of her sons would attempt, I'm talking preposterous, like, I'll give you $50 and you give me boardwalk and park place. Like, not even close to being fair. And Andrew would do this every time. Every time. And me and my older brother would get sick of it. And so peace left the household until Monopoly left the household. But make peace with one another. Live in harmony. Jesus says there's a blessing for making peace. He says, making peace means that you're being a child of God. Making peace is being a child of God. It's the greatest peace that you can give. Being a child of God. The greatest peace you can give one person is to witness to them and bring them into a relationship with the Father. Amen. You know that? That's the greatest peace that you can give someone because you're taking conflict out of a person and their relationship with God and bringing them into right relationship. That's why we witness to people to make peace and bring people close to God. Blessed are the peacemakers. And this is the last of the fruit in the Beatitudes. And I believe it's the reason it's the last of the fruit because it's the hardest one to do. It's the most difficult one, the most challenging one to be a person of peace. And you cannot be a person of peace if you have no humility. You cannot be a person of peace if you're not poor in spirit. You can't be a person of peace if you're not merciful and pure. James talks about this in James 3. He says the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable. The beatitude right before peace is, is purity. Blessed are the pure in heart. 
What he's saying is God's wisdom is first pure, meaning it is free from sin. And then there's peace. Some of us are like, I want to make peace, but I don't even have any peace right now. And can I tell you something? Maybe the reason you are not having peace yet is because there's a lack of purity in your heart that you need to look at. Got real quiet. Maybe there's something in our heart that we need to change and adjust before peace can come in. We can call out to God for peace, but if we're not living in the right manner, peace will not be there. All right, I'll stop meddling. <laughs> Look at the last verse. Uh, sorry, I didn't read all of James. Let me go back to that. First pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. It says a harvest of righteousness sown in peace by those who make peace. What that says to me is that peacemaking is sown not only the fruit of righteousness for themselves, but you're sowing righteousness for those around you as well. Because making peace will bless you and it will bless those around you. Don't we want to be people of peace? Peacemakers sow in peace. They reap in righteousness and they get the privilege of identifying as a child of God. All right, let's move on to the next beatitude. We're going to get to the fun part now. Verse 10, it says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Ah, yes, persecution. Always a fan favorite topic, is it not? I ask people all the time, what, what do you want to hear a message on on Sunday morning? Every time. Persecution. Been looking forward to persecution for a while. Always need more preaching on persecution. Kidding. But it's important to remind us that we're still blessed even on the bad days. That we're still blessed even when we go through bad things. Did you notice that he ends this blessing with the same blessing at the very beginning of the Beatitude? He says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The very first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I thought, you know, I thought to myself, I wonder why Jesus says that. And I think maybe it's to remind us that even though we might suffer persecution now, the kingdom of heaven is also now. You might be poor in spirit, but you also have the presence of Jesus with you now. You might be persecuted now, but you also have the presence of Jesus with you now. And it gives me great comfort reading this and knowing that Jesus says he's with you always. Because one day you can have peace in your life, and the next day you can have persecution. But Jesus is saying, through it all, you will always have me on the earth with you. Our second point, persecution is now, but the kingdom is also now. Persecuted, it means that we can be harassed. It means we can be treated with hostility. And I'll be honest and say, I don't think in America we truly know the meaning of the word persecution. Right. You know, I mean, at least not yet. Right. And, and some of you might catch 
flack for preaching the word of God where in your workplace or to your family. You might offend people. You might get labeled as being hateful or intolerant. But in America in general, we are blessed. We are blessed. So I want to be careful when I use this word persecution and, and referring to someone making fun of your faith on Facebook. You go live in another country, you are in danger of being thrown in jail. You are in danger of losing your life if you walk the way of godly towards righteousness. And I'm not trying to be a downer this morning. I just want to give you some perspective. I've read books and I've heard stories of men and women that are facing true persecution for their faith. Persecuted for righteousness sake, but theirs is the kingdom of heaven here and now. Because I've also heard of jailers who were doing the persecuting, turning their lives over to Jesus. I've heard of people that are suffering in prisons that go months without food. Longer than you should be able to, to live and they stay alive and God keeps them preserved because the kingdom of heaven is here and now also. The persecution is now, but the kingdom of heaven is also now. Amen? Amen. Jesus said in John 15, he said, they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they persecuted Jesus, the one who is full of love and compassion, and he healed those who were sick, and he would cast out demons, and he delivered people from bondage, if they would persecute him, they will persecute you. The early church, after Jesus was resurrected, almost immediately encountered persecution. Look at Acts chapter 5, verse 38. It says, so in the present case, I tell you, actually, let me set this up real fast. There's a group of disciples that are in trouble with the law and the officials. And this person is giving advice to the, the officials as they're trying to decide what should be the ruling, what should they do with this group, all right, with that. He says, so in this present case, I tell you, keep away from these men, keep away from these Christians, let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it's going to fail. We don't have to do anything to mess with them. They're, they're going to fall apart. It's going to be a fad if it's from people. But if it's of God, you're not going to be able to stop them. Is it okay if I'm paraphrasing this as I talk about it? You're not going to be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took this man's advice, and when they had called the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Can you imagine having this attitude of rejoicing as you walk away with bruises, saying, I, I feel the privilege to be counted worthy of suffering for the name of Jesus. I want to be counted worthy of suffering from the name of Jesus. I'd like to be just counted for it and not have to experience it, but if I have to experience it as well, I'm willing to do that. And that brings us to our last beatitude, and it goes hand in hand with this persecution. Verse 11, Jesus says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. This last beatitude is special. Because Jesus makes it personal. 
He doesn't say, blessed are those who do this, or blessed are those people who do this. He says, blessed are you. Blessed are you when people insult you, when people lie about you. Can I say real fast, um, can we always assume the best about people? When rumors come up and people find out a rumor about somebody, can we do a little bit more research before we say, I knew that guy was slimy. I didn't trust him. I knew that was coming. I don't think that honors God, to be honest with you. That we would sound like we're happy this person has been caught or found out. If we want the best about people, we want to believe the best about people. Uh, uh, Jesus says right here, there's proof that people are going to lie about God's people. There are going to be false things said about believers. And he says, when they speak evil against you falsely on my account. It's interesting the difference between the persecution before this. It was persecution for the sake of righteousness. But here he says, it's persecution just because of my name. And you, we might have standards of godly living right now that we live by that we'll receive some persecution for. But I believe at some point, we're going to receive persecution just for being associated with the name of Jesus. And persecution is worth it. Because it's showing the world that you value Jesus and being identified with him above anything else that this world has to offer. Our last point is persecution is temporary, but the reward is eternal. When our eyes are focused on what's beyond this world, we remind ourselves that we will have discomfort, we will have pain, but it's temporary for the God that's eternal. And he knows how to eternally reward those who are loyal to him. Let me share an example from Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 32, it says, But recall the former days, when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. You will receive what is promised. You have to remember there's a, there's a reward. There's an eternal reward that will last after all this world fades. Because life is short. It's fleeting. And sometimes we're aware of that. And sometimes we get caught up in the world. And if I have completely devastated you at this point and demoralized you by this point, allow me to circle back and look at how Jesus ends this. Verse, if you can come up as we close. Verse 12. He ends with saying, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Have joy that the reward is worth it in heaven. And I know it's hard to fully wrap our heads around that, but, but time on earth, living with the attitude of Jesus, will be worth the reward that our Heavenly Father has prepared for us in heaven. 
peace and persecution. That's how Jesus chooses to end the Beatitudes. Because these are the most challenging elements to grow in. Imagine if Jesus had started with, blessed are the persecuted. The crowd would have slowly walked away because we would have thought there's no way I can do this and they would be right. But that's not how Jesus starts. He, he has a method, there's a process to this. He, he says, okay, can you, can you start with just being poor in spirit and, and being humble? Okay, yeah, I could try to do that. Okay, then can you mourn with those that are struggling? All right, yeah, I think I can do that. Can you be meek and lower yourself? Okay, I can do that. Can, can you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Yeah, I can try to do that. Can you be merciful? Can you be pure in heart? Can you be a peacemaker? And then he goes on to say, blessed are those who are persecuted. He strategically took them through each attitude and blessing to show us it is possible as we walk through these attitudes to develop them and greater have a mind of Christ. Would you stand up with me today as we close? Is everyone still doing good? Are we okay? I just want to make sure. Peace and persecution, it's not a normal theme I talk about, but the Bible talks about it, I've got to talk about it. No way around it. It's important that persecution, before we get to that, it talks about peace. I feel like I've talked in a very cavalier way about just have peace and seek it. But you could be here right now and going through a real struggle and say, yeah, I'd love to make peace, but I don't have it at the moment. And if that's you, I'd love to take a minute to pray for those that are in need of peace in their life. And this is a room that there's no judgment. It's not asking questions or anything you don't want to know. But if, if you need peace and you wouldn't mind if a person or two pray with you around you, would you be willing to slip up your hand and say, man, I could use some peace right now with what I'm going through. I've got some issues that are going on that are, that are hurting my peace and I need help. Anyone else? Say, I could use a little bit of peace. All right. Let's pray together, church. If there's someone around you that raised their hand, would you just go next to them? Would you put a hand on their shoulder if they're comfortable with that? God, I pray for peace.
Yes. God, I pray that you help us to be peacemakers in our life. To not be passive, to not notice what's happening around us and then go back to our normal life. You've called us to this. You've called us to, with love, approach these situations and make peace between people. And I pray, God, would you give us opportunities to evangelize our world and give them the greatest peace they can ever know, and that's right relationship with God. I pray that you give us peace and help us when there are moments of persecution. When we are looked down at from the world, help us to remember that you are with us here and now, and you also have a reward for us in heaven. We thank you for that. We thank you that we serve a good God and a good Father who loves us and cares about us. We love you today, God. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. The Gathering is a place where you can belong to a church that loves you, believe in the God who is bigger than you, and become who God created you to be. For updates, service times, or ways to get involved, check out thegathering.online. And if you enjoyed listening today, consider rating it or sharing it with a friend. We love you. The best is yet to come.